North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I'm Dr. Lauren Noel, and thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you guys love the show. I got this crazy, jolting reality check. I was going back through the archives and counting all the people who have listened to the show, and I thought it was going to be about 100,000, 150,000. It was 330,000 listens. That partly creeped me out and partly made me really excited. <laughs> so, um, And a little bit of like a kind of like, uh, what's the word? Like, um, you know, when you're on stage, stage fright. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, I, I take it as a huge compliment. So just thank you guys so much for your um, support and listening to the show. And I hope you're really getting a lot of great value out of it. It is a joy for me to do this. I don't know if I've ever told you guys, but doing this show is kind of like therapy for me. It just it's like a um, like a creative expression. It's a way for me to just express myself and I get to geek out every week because I get to, you know, review things that I haven't studied in a while or I get to interview really amazing experts and authors and so it's just like as as, as enjoyable for me as it is for you guys to listen to it probably more. So, um anyways, just wanted to just really express my my gratitude and my thanks and just thank you guys so much for listening to the show. It means a lot. Um, let's see, what are some announcements before we jump into the show? Paleo FX is coming up at the end of this month. If you guys aren't registered, haven't bought a ticket, check it out. It'll be really, really fun. Um, Rob Wolf, Chris Cresser, Diane Sanfilippo, and many more are going to be there giving lectures, and there's going to be just really great talks and different events and things. There's also a farm-to-table dinner um, on Saturday night. Sorry, it's on March 26th, 27th, and 28th in Austin, Texas. And uh, the Saturday of, of that uh, week is going to be a farm-to-table dinner. So really, really fun. Um, if you guys want to get tickets, go to therealpaleofx.com. I don't know if there's still tickets. I'm just promoting it. I just assume there are, but maybe there, there aren't. Uh, but I'd love to meet you guys and pull me aside and say hi if you, uh, if you see me there. Uh, let's see. And I'm giving a lecture, by the way. That was the point of me bringing that up, too. So I'm going to be giving a lecture about food as medicine and how you can, um, you know, carefully customize your paleo diet to really support your own biochemical individuality. You know, there's no cookie-cutter approach. There's not one-size-fits-all diet for anybody. We're all different, and what is my medicine might be your poison and vice versa. So there's ways to really customize it for the individual, and I'm going to share some of my tips and techniques to do that for patients. Um, and then there's lots of other lectures, and I'm on, I think, three different mastermind panels which is really cool. I'm just like, yeah, throw me on a panel. I'll be on there. It'll be fun. Um, it's an honor. I'm going to be on a panel, I think, with Nora Gagoudis and Dr. or with uh, Paul Jaminet and Rob Wolf and um, Dr. Terry Walls. And so I'm, you know, just honored and kind of starstruck and just excited. Uh, so anyways, that's the end of this month. 
Let's see here. What else? I think that's it for announcements. You guys can always check me out, drlaurennoel.com. As you guys know, I work with patients locally in San Diego here and all over the country. I'd say probably half my patients are out of state because of this wonderful show. So it gives me an opportunity to reach a lot of people who need help. So if you guys are struggling, you need a doctor to kind of help you figure out what's going on and run the appropriate tests and just guide you back to health using natural treatments, then, then I'm the girl for you. So check me out, and I'd love to work with you. So our show tonight is all about at-home lab testing. So what are some tests that you can actually do at home to learn more about your health, your your own health status, without even really needing a doctor, things you can try right away to just see where you're at? And also, what do the results mean? And what can you do, what can you, um, do to address it using natural treatments? So that's what tonight's show is all about. Joining me tonight is Dr. Daniel Chong. He's a repeat guest on the show. And uh, he thinks he think he showed me about a year ago talking about EMFs and um, different, you know, electromagnetic frequencies and grounding techniques and earthing. And it was a really fun show. And so we're having him back on to talk about this very useful and empowering topic. He's a naturopathic physician. He's licensed in primary care medicine in the state of Oregon. His passion for optimizing his own health and the health of his family, as well as his patients, has led him down the whole road of exploration into the depths of chronic illness and the true causes behind it. And that's what naturopathic medicine is all about, is finding the root cause, not just treating symptoms. That's what that's what he is all about. And he's a paleo-savvy doctor, too, which is even cooler. Um, in his practice, he treats people of all ages with a wide variety of ailments. His passion as a doctor is to combine what he calls treating his patients the old-fashioned way with the cutting-edge adv advancements in various aspects of diagnosis and treatment using non-invasive, inexpensive, safe, and natural methods whenever possible. Dr. Chong is a graduate of the same school as me, National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, and he's also an active member of the Oregon Association of, of Naturopathic Physicians, and it is great to have you back on the show. Dr. Chong, welcome back to Dr. Low Radio. Hi, hi, Lauren. How are you doing? Sorry, I'm good. No, you can call me. <laughs> Whatever you, you can prefer, call me Lauren. Doctor Lowe. It's Lowe. all good. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. Crazy day, but I'm glad I made it. What's made your day crazy? What's your day been like? Oh, just um, typical. Start off with trying to wake kids up and get them <laughs> off to school on time, and then morph into a naturopathic doctor of some sort, and then drive across the city to. The Rose Garden, where I'm going to be watching the Portland Trailblazers play a game a little bit later tonight, and have to shove myself into an office here. It's, it's a little bit crazy, long story, but but I'm here, and that's the that's the key. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for making it all work. I appreciate you being on the show again. I think when was no our problem. last show? Like a year ago? I think so. I've kind of lost track of time, but it sounds about right. It sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. Awesome. So it's good to have you back on, and um, you know we'll definitely keep it kind of a, more of a brief show because I know you want to go check out some uh, some sports, and I'm going to go have some paleo dinner well, with some of my paleo <laughs> friends. But we'll definitely give well, this topic justice tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, and you never know. I I tend to go off on tangents, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, um, cool. So let's kind of jump into it. So, but first off, I mean, what what motivated you to choose you know this topic of wanting to be back on the show? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was trying to struggle trying to define what the topic is. Um, I really just sort of look at it as as a description of some of the things that I do in my practice with my patients, specifically to help them. I guess, you know, one of my main um, approaches with my, with with you know, you could say this with a lot of naturopathic doctors, but one of my main approaches is, is to try to empower my, my patients to 
sort of take uh, their health into their own hands. And, you know, as you know, the power of diet and lifestyle is, is the key sort of fundamental aspect of really recovering your health. And and some of the tests that I'm going to talk about tonight are, are I think, ways to really help a patient sort of connect with their own health and really follow it along rather than me just saying, okay, do this, okay, do that, and then, okay, now we're going to do this test and I'll tell you what the results are. This is more of a way for them to almost keep like a daily monitor on themselves and how they're doing and, and, and what they need and that sort of a thing and sort of make subtle adjustments so they don't need to be feeling like you know, they're, they're powerless, I guess you could say. So that's yeah, kind of and, my Yeah, and don't goal. you find that patients tend to really stick to treatment plans when they really get it, they understand the whole process behind it. I mean, there are some patients that are like, I don't want to know the biochemistry, I don't want to, don't teach me, just tell me what to take, you know, and that's it. But that's a small majority. I think for the most part, you know, people want to know, like they want to be educated because then they really get it and they feel very empowered, like they are they are a part of their, of their treatment plan. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and I would go so far as to say that the, you know the typical patient who doesn't want to know what's going on and just what tell you know wants to know what to do they don't typically come to my office <laughs> mm. my, my patients are the ones who are like already all over the internet and have tried this <laughs> that and the other thing and and uh they want to understand everything and so you know I do my best to to try to teach them more more and more but it's getting harder and harder these days to stay on top of everything but half the people that come in seem to know more about <laughs> what's going on with them than I do but um, <laughs> Why these sorts of that? things <laughs> <laughs> well these sorts of things that I'm hopefully talk about tonight it's interesting how very few people know about a lot of this stuff so um and and they're as you'll as you'll you know as the listeners will see it's it's quite simple stuff but it can be mm-hmm. super useful so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, we'll we'll jump into the few different tests that that um, people can do at home, and later I would love to actually touch on briefly about just some of the some of the symptoms and signs of certain nutritional deficiencies. I know you sent that over to me in one of the emails, and I think that'd be really fun. Just for, I mean, I guess it's not we're not recommending patients do an actual like physical exam on themselves, but like just little <laughs> clues they might be able to notice on their body or things they might be feeling of, Oh, maybe they should go see a doctor and have this looked into. So we can kind of get to that a little bit later. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but just to start off, to listen to, sorry, I was just saying I could see somebody trying to like listen to their own heart or something like that with a stethoscope right. would be, be pretty interesting, but yeah, they don't <laughs> need to do the whole like, the little like knee jerk, you know, the little hitting on their knee. I don't want everyone to be doing that at home to test their own reflexes. You can let a doctor do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Although when I was in medical school, I, I tried to do that a few times, and it kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's All jump right. into it. So, so yes. vitamin C. I'm vitamin ready. C is um, such an important nutrient. You know, pe- people typically think of, oh, orange juice, you know, vitamin C, you know, which usually I tell patients, don't drink orange juice when you're sick because it's loaded with sugar. But um, let's kind of backtrack a bit. So first off, you know, um, what's the importance of vitamin C in the body and um, what is ascorbate calibration? Well, okay, that is a huge topic, which for the most part I would say would probably do well to just have a whole a whole uh, separate um, show about that. Now that I know more of what I know, I mean, having gone through naturopathic school, as you have, um, everybody knows about vitamin C, you know. And most of us correlate it mostly to to immune health and preventing colds and things like that. But um, as I sort of, I don't even remember why, it, what prompted me to do this, but as I sort of started delving into more of the, <clears throat> the detailed research and, and information about vitamin C, I started 
learning more and more that I never knew. And I mean, literally, just in the last year, I mean, I've been practicing for 13 years, and, and I've learned more about vitamin C in the last year than I had in the prior 13. Um, some of the things that just off the top of my head that I always think about now with vitamin C, I mean, it's literally the most... Um, what is it? The, the the molecule that is most used in the body, and in, in in terms of any bio, sort of biochemical nutritional based molecule, it's the most utilized nutrient in the body. So m- most people think of it just cor- you know correlated to again immune immune health or, or preventing colds, but it's it's everywhere. In fact, you know one thing I never realized was that um, uh, if you were to sort of analyze all of the different tissues or organs in the body for vitamin C levels on average, you'd find the highest amounts in the adrenal glands, Mm -hmm. which automatically to me means, okay, anybody under stress needs vitamin C. And there's been, I mean, such a huge amount of uh, interesting research. If you really look in terms of where, you know, what happens and what makes people deficient in vitamin C, it's such a long story I almost hesitate to to go too into it. But Hopefully we'll get a little bit of time to talk about that. But the the main answer to the question is what is this uh, ascorbate calibration? That's a a fancy term. Um, I believe it was originally created by a, a doctor, Russell Jaffe. He's a medical doctor, and uh, he directs. He's the director for a nutritional supplement company. But he's a pretty amazing uh, uh, medical doctor. He's got a lot of research background. But he, I believe, coined the term. Um, and and technically, what it what it ma- basically means is is it's it's helping you identify exactly how much vitamin C your body needs, rather than taking some standard typical recommended dose like you might in various other nutrients. With vitamin C, things are very very different. And um, what's understood, I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to tell this story <laughs> in a short and concise way. But in essence, what what the Bottom line is the majority of, of animals on this planet can actually manufacture their own vitamin C in their liver. And the belief out there amongst the researchers is that human beings or pre-humans, and this is an interesting tie-in to paleo and even pre-paleo, um, pre-humans used to also be able to manufacture their vitamin C. And in essence, I always tell my patients this. It's, if you were to look, so to speak, you would find an entire... Uh, vitamin C manufacturing facility in your in your liver, except it's like missing one little part. And so, mm. if you were to so research, for example, that they've done with with animals, they they take they'll take animals and they'll they'll stress them out in some way, shape, or form. They'll expose them to a bacteria, or they'll um, you know make them run on the treadmill until they can't run anymore, or they'll they'll keep them awake for two nights in a row, or they'll you know different things that you could potentially say human beings put themselves to in similar in a similar fashion and in all of those ways if the animal is capable of manufacturing their own vitamin C immediately it doesn't matter what type of stress immediately they will start massively increasing their vitamin C uh production and it'll stay mm. high until the stress is gone and so in essence what that means you know I have patients come up to me and say Okay, I know you're into vitamin C. How much do I take? And my basic answer is, well, you, you have to take as much as you need. And mm-hmm. that's a completely different story from person to person and also depending on what is going on in that person's life. And so mm-hmm. the ascorbate calibration technique is is one of the only ways that I'm aware of that can really help a person identify their true 
vitamin C needs. Mm. Got it. I don't know if you've ever so, heard. How I don't does know if you've work? ever heard of. Well, <laughs> have you ever heard of the bowel tolerance? Like taking. Yes. You know, the classic thing I always remember being taught is, oh, take vitamin C to bowel tolerance. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a sort of an older method um, that was developed by another physician back in, I believe, the 60s by the name of Klenner, K-L-E-N-N-E-R, in case for anybody who wants to write that down. Um, (laughs) And in essence, what that method was was to sort of start, you know, depending on where you're at, whether or not you're sick or or well, um, you can just start taking a certain amount of vitamin C and you sort of take it every couple of hours and you keep taking it until you start to get some digestive disturbance. So in other words, there's a level at which your body will get to, typically, um, if you're taking vitamin C orally, that it, that you'll start getting the digestive disturbance. But the fascinating thing is it, that level will change completely depending on what your stress levels are. So in other words, um, the, like you and I, I don't think you're sick. I'm not sick right now with a cold or a flu or anything like that. If I were to do a bowel tolerance test, and I'll mention what, in the, what the difference is with the ascorbate calibration. But if I was if I was to do a bowel tolerance test of any type, where I'm trying to determine how much I can take on a day like today, I might, on average, being an average person, tolerate somewhere in the realm of six to twelve grams of vitamin C over a twenty, you know, potentially twenty-four hour period without getting any digestive disturbance. But what what the research and clinical evidence has shown, some of these doctors that have used vitamin C extensively in their practices, if I were to tomorrow come down with pneumonia I might, and I did the same test, I would literally potentially be able to tolerate 10 times or more than that. Like sometimes up to two, there's, there is like true, like full-on case studies of patients tolerating 200 grams, that's 200,000 mm. milligrams of vitamin C orally in a 24-hour period with no diarrhea, where normally you couldn't even come close to that without getting diarrhea if you were not sick. So in other words, the body is so in receptive to vitamin C and so uh, you know in need of it. If it gets stressed or sick, it's like it's like opens the floodgates and just will suck in anything that you give it up to a certain mm. extent. So the the focus on the ascorbate calibration is just the it's basically an updated method of the bowel tolerance testing, and it was, again, developed by this uh, Dr. Russell Jaffe, and it, mm-hmm. the the key details of it, and let me know if I'm going too fast here, no, the it's key perfect. details of it, um, basically the average person who's not sick, who just is curious, okay, tomorrow I want to find out how much vitamin C I need, the average person would start with about three grams. Um, of vitamin C, which is a relatively high dose. I mean, most multivitamins and things like that have about 500 milligrams. You might, like, emergency packets have, like, 1,000 milligrams. So you're you're mm-hmm. going to start out with about 3,000 milligrams on average, um, just pure ascorbic acid. And you're going to take that every 15 minutes. And you're going to take it until you have what is commonly called an enema-like bowel movement, <laughs> where... <laughs> You literally flush mostly fluid into the toilet. Fun. Yeah, it's a great time. All of my patients ask me how frequently they can do it, and you know, just kidding. <laughs> it's nobody likes to do it, but it's super useful. And in essence, what you're doing, each dose you take, you're taking, um, you're keeping note of how much you're taking. And so, let's just say, for example, um, 
you took four doses of that 3,000 milligrams, and then you had a flush. So it took 12,000 milligrams to get a flush. Mm-hmm. The basic idea after that, on a daily basis, you would take three-quarters of that, or 75% of that dose, split up throughout the day. So just to keep it simple, if it took 12 grams or 12,000 milligrams to flush, you would take 9,000 milligrams a day. And I would typically recommend a person take that in the by going 3,000 per meal. Mm-hmm. And that would be your daily dose. And, and ideally, you want to do an ascorbate calibration when you're not particular particularly stressed or sick to sort of get a bit an idea of what your baseline need is. Mm-hmm. And then if you what I usually instruct my patients to do is if they do if they get exposed to a virus or <clears throat> they're having a super stressful week or something like that, ideally what they're going to do at that point is they're going to recalibrate. And then what that means is they're just going to redo the test and see how much they need then. And then they're going to take 75% of that. And typically if they do that, they get over illnesses quicker than anything I've ever used. And I really mm-hmm. mean, I mean, I've, again, been practicing for 13 years and no you know, a fair bit of options, for example, with colds and flus and different things like that, and I've never seen anything work this well. If a person wow. can get, the only thing that works better is IV vitamin C, in, mm-hmm. my, in my opinion. And it's to the, mm-hmm. to the point now where I don't even, even if I get, were to come down with something or one of my kids were to come down with something, I don't even, honestly don't even bother with anything else that I used to use, echinacea, elderberry, all these different things. I just give them tons of vitamin C and they get over quicker than than ever. Now, what about they're not all created equal, right? So, what what kind of vitamin C are you referring to? Well, that's a good question. Um, it really, actually, as far as I understand it, it really depends on the situation. So, if somebody is acutely ill, you want to take uh, a pure ascorbic acid, and the reason for that, I mean, technically, vitamin C is is an antioxidant, right? So what does that mean? It, it, technically, it means that it has electrons to give up to a free radical. A free radical is like an, a, an electron uh, scavenging substance, so to speak. And the vitamin C has electrons to give and sort of satisfy the free radical activity and sort of nullify it, I guess you could say. And ascorbate, uh, ascorbic acid, pure ascorbic acid, which is not uh, buffered with any minerals, has two electrons to give. Whereas if you have buffered ascorbic acid, like you're going to find for the most part on the shelves in health food stores and things like that, that technically has one electron to give up. So it's not quite as potent. So I typically recommend um, if somebody's really ill that they use straight ascorbic acid because it's going to work more powerfully and more quickly. But that being said, if I also have all of my patients take their hopefully take their bowel tolerance or, you know, their their, uh, calibrated dose on a daily basis as well, just for general health. And when they do that, I I always recommend that they take a buffered form of vitamin C because technically vitamin C is an acid, or ascorbic Mm -hmm. acid is obviously an acid, or it wouldn't be called ascorbic acid. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you take high amounts of an acidic substance like that on a regular basis, day in and day out, that's not buffered, your body will... has to buffer it in some way, shape, or form. So technically it would draw from its own um, buffering mineral supply in order to buffer that acid. And on a long-term basis, taken in a really high dose, that's not necessarily ideal because you could theoretically create a little bit of a deficiency there. Mm. And so I always recommend people take the buffered form long-term, ascorbic acid straight, short-term. 
I guess you could mm-hmm. say. And it gets a little bit more complicated than that. I typically recommend people, you know, most of the buffered C you'll see out there is buffered with one or maybe two minerals, calcium and, and or magnesium, which is fine if you're only taking 1,000 milligrams a day. But some of my patients take 12,000 milligrams a day on an ongoing basis. And if that is the case and you're taking a, a substance that's only buffered with one mineral, you could end up taking too much of the mineral, like more than I would want my patients to take of calcium, for example. So the the form of vitamin C that I use uh, with my patients is actually buffered with four different minerals, and that makes it so that you don't have to get a high amount of any one in particular, even if you're taking fairly high doses. Hmm, a little confusing, it. but the, the bottom line take-home is buffered long-term ascorbic acid straight short-term unless you can get an IV. And the kinds of conditions that would benefit from this, you know, would be um, those who have, you know, ligament laxity or or injuries to, you know, skin tissues, you know, tendon, ligaments, Um, someone who is obviously fighting off a cold or flu, like you said, Um, someone under a lot of stress, so adrenal fatigue or even like more acute stress. Um, Absolutely. And what else? What else could you think of? Um, I would go so far as to say, and, and again, I'm biased here, but I would go so far as to say anything. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it, because, and it's and it has to do with the fact that vitamin C is so utilized in the body. I mean, you can literally, it's like you cannot go anywhere in the body and not find vitamin C being used there. So mm-hmm. from that, I mean, it's certainly more utilized, for example, in uh, collagen formation or in white blood cell production or in the adrenal glands or in the eyes, for example. It's also known to be quite utilized in the eyes. So those those areas would be even more important than others, but but it it is it is a foundational treatment for me. So in other words, it's it's on par with eating well, exercising, getting good sleep, et cetera. Mm-hmm. in terms of what I recommend it for. It's almost these days, and, and part of the, the reason why I do the tests like the ones we're going to be talking about here, my approach these days is, okay, whatever you have going on, before we even delve into the details of it, I want to make sure that all your foundation is in place. So I want to make sure you're totally nutrient replete. I want to make sure you're eating well. I want to make sure you're exercising. I want to make sure you're not stressing too much if we can help it. You know, I want to make sure your hormones are where they should be, et cetera. And then I'm going to, once I've satisfied that, and vitamin C is crucial in that regard in terms of, because, again, if you go back to what I was saying in terms of, or the brief mention I gave that, that human beings can no longer manufacture their vitamin C, technically mm-hmm. what that means is that unless you're taking a calibrated dose of vitamin C, you're walking around in some degree of deficiency. It just depends mm-hmm. on how severe it is. So if I want to build a person's foundation of health first before I build on top of that, satisfying their their body's vitamin C needs is crucial. And so these days, it's almost no matter what a person has going on, I'm going to recommend they do all these foundational things first and then step back and see what's left. And Mm -hmm. so from that perspective, I use vitamin C on that fundamental level level. Got it. Good stuff. I love that. All right, let's uh, let's jump to pH. So pH okay. testing. This is, um, you know, people hear about pH, right? People always want to have alkaline water, and there's always, you know, yeah. pH balance for, you know, deodorant. So people are used to hearing this, <laughs> the term pH, but, yeah. you know, what is pH testing, and why is it actually important for people to do? Well, I try to always come from a, a 
you know, technically sound a place as possible in terms of what truly is going on here. I try not to ever utilize uh, techniques, treatments, et cetera, that have, do not have solid foundational understanding, physiological understanding with them. And pH testing has, in my opinion, gotten a bit of a bad wrap out there. And, and it, it sort of seems to be pretty strongly connected to the classic, like, alternative medicine, woo-woo medicine stigma, like, oh, yeah, go check your, check your pH. It seems too, too simple to check your pH. And p some people recommend salivary testing. Some people say you should check your urine. And so there's all this, uh, you know, less than um, totally recognized and standardized way of doing it, which sort of detracts from its usefulness, in my opinion. So I go I, I go a lot, actually, this is another thing I learned from Dr. Jaffe, who is as, as thorough with his research as any doctor I've ever come across. And so if you look, if you look at the true research behind it, what pH testing is helpful for is trying to get an initial assessment on what your buffering mineral status is. And when I say buffering minerals, I mostly mean magnesium, calcium, and potassium. It's not a test that you can use to diagnose a condition. It's And it's I would not consider it for a second as a 100% as a foolproof test that, that, that there's absolutely no doubt about. It's a useful tool that I use in correlation to other things going on with the person's symptoms and so on and so forth. But from that perspective, the research is quite clear that it, it does give an indication in all likelihood of what your buffering mineral status is. So in other words, if you're um, one other, I'll mention some details about how to do it in a moment, but it's 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 that's more or less what I use it for. And so, just to give an example, like the, the enzymes within the cell, the enzyme systems within any cell within any cell in your body do not work as well if the medium or the environment within the cell is too acidic. And mm. so, and what's going to help control that to a great extent is the buffering minerals. That's one of the many things that they're involved with in the body. And pH testing is is a relatively reliable way to get an indication or a sort of a, a subtle indication of what the, the typical cell's um, acidity or level of acidity is. And so from that perspective, I'm going to learn pretty quickly whether or not I can rely on a person's cells to be working optimally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answers that question. Okay, got it. And, you know, actual, like, research showing that pH, you know, pH testing is actually legit. You know, what's out there that yeah. we know? It's like, okay, this is actually, like, a viable thing. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of people out there who have done some pretty extensive uh, research and this is this is stuff again that I've I've heard about pH testing forever and was always a little bit shaky about it cuz I I never knew that there was any actual research done but there's for example there's a woman named Do uh, Dr. Susan Whiting of the University of uh Saskatchewan who's who's done some research her research specifically showed <clears throat> that you can utilize um, like if you were to if you were to go like in a conventional medical set, setting and and try to get an assessment or try to get a test run that's going to assess true what we call net acid excretion how much acid does your body excrete on a day in and day out basis um, they typically that's typically done with a 24 hour urine collection which is obviously 
going to be more expensive, it's going to be more impractical, and certainly not something somebody could do on a regular basis. So she, Dr. Whiting went about to try to get an assessment of whether or not you could do any single um, sampling of, of urine pH and get the same, uh, you know, same correlation as you would with a 24-hour urine test. And they found that if you, and this is a key thing, if you take uh, the urine pH first thing in the morning after at least four to six hours of straight rest, where you don't get up and go make coffee and feed your cat and then go pee, like you just go right from your bed to the bathroom, go urinate and check your pH then, it is actually a direct correlation to to a 24-hour urine test for net acid excretion. Hmm. And so that's been proven. And the other... And then, so why do we care about net acid uh, excretion? Um, there's another doctor, uh, Dr. Rylander, R-Y-L-A-N-D-E-R, of the Institute for Prevention and Nutrition in Germany, who, who's done a lot of research. And he's shown, I'm going to quote this, because I knew you were going to ask me this question, because everybody <laughs> wants to know if there's any research behind this stuff. Um, I'm going to quote, that studies showed, quote-unquote, that acid-base um, status in the body is affects uh, renal or kidney magnesium losses, and it does not matter or irrespectively of what your magnesium intake is. So in other words, you could be taking an eating high magnesium diet, taking magnesium supplementation. If you check your urine and it is acidic still, you are not getting enough of mm-hmm. either magnesium, calcium, or potassium. And so mm-hmm. in other words, um, you can say that that magnesium deficiency can, is is literally can be caused by excessive acid load in the body. So mm-hmm. because magnesium and as you probably I'm sure know this and most of your listeners probably know magnesium is definitely a harder mineral to get optimal amounts of relative to some of the other ones potassium and calcium for example. Mm-hmm. And I see many, many people with magnesium deficiencies, subtle magnesium deficiencies. We're not talking about severe, but subtle magnesium deficiencies that can contribute to a number of different issues. Um, and so from his research, it looks like um, an over-acid load in the body is going to be a major contributor to magnesium deficiency, unless a person mm-hmm. just is not consuming it at all. And so that's one of the main reasons why I check pH testing is I'm really interested in everybody's magnesium levels. I mean, certainly potassium I'm super interested in, too, because most people don't eat enough potassium in their diet either. Mm -hmm. But that's the basic idea. Okay, so so we're looking at pH specifically of urine, correct? Correct. So the basic, yeah, the basic idea is you can go... You, you want to go most health food stores, and you can also get these online. They have these pH rolls of pH paper that are used for a number of different things. Um, but you know, Amazon.com, for example, is going to have pH paper. Just type it in and mm-hmm. search for it, and you'll find like these little rolls. The key thing is you want to get um, the type of pH paper that that the increments that usually they go the measuring the measurement of the pH or the acidity goes from for most of the forms of pH paper, it goes from about 5.2 to about 8. But the key is you want to get that um, as close to going up from increments of 0.2. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'll see ones that go up 0.5, and it's technically it's just not sensitive enough to detect the subtle changes that you would want to be watching for. 
And so there are ones that go, you can look and see the actual little chart that comes on the box. Because basically, for anybody who hasn't ever checked pH of anything, it's just a little piece of paper and you can touch it to any fluid. And it's going to change color de depending on what the pH of that fluid is. And the, the, there's going to be a little chart on the box that shows different colors, and you literally just eyeball it and match the, co the color on the box, and you'll find what pH that, that substance is, because it, it'll change to different colors depending on the pH of the substance. So, so that's all you're basically doing, is you're just taking a little strip off, you're passing it through your urine stream first thing in the morning, and then you're, you're sitting there with your little box and seeing where you're at. And okay. that's a... It's pretty reliable, and, and, and again, you could, should be able to find that on on Amazon. And the key, the ideal range as far as, this is, again, where there's some degree of um, disagreement, but it's pretty pretty solid with the research I've seen. The ideal range you want to see is about 6.5 to 7.5. And okay. this is a crucial thing for me because I'm, you know, knee-deep in all the dietary stuff going on out there, paleo, low-carb, high-carb, blah, blah, blah. I'm Mm -hmm. It's almost, it's almost, I've almost had it up to here with all of it, <laughs> to be perfectly I honest. I hear you. Like, eat, eat real food, eat whole food, and then let's individualize from there. So yes. one of the things, like if I have somebody come in and they're saying, like, I want to eat low carb or high carb or whatever, I, one of my answers is, okay, let's check your pH. So if you're eating mm -hmm. a low carb diet and you're, you know, Jimmy Moore, for example, does not eat a whole lot of vegetables these days that I've heard of mm -hmm. and that I've seen from his blog. And <laughs> I'm fine with that as long as his pH is fine. If it's mm -hmm. not, I'm a little concerned about that. So it's a way to sort of, for me, it's a way to look past you know, dietary labels and what are you doing with your diet and this and that. It's just like I want to make sure that I know that you are not deficient in any of these crucial minerals for cell function. Mm -hmm. And if you are, there's something about what you're doing that's wrong. It doesn't mean a person has to start eating some food that's completely off their diet, but they might need to tweak it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm that. all about individualizing that for people. So the ideal yeah, range yeah. is 6.5 to 7.5. If it's below that, Correct. then it's acidic. If it's above that, then Correct. it's alkaline, right? It's basic. Exactly. Okay, so, and typically if it's if it's, if it's it's off, then it's probably more on the acidic side, would you say? Almost every single time. I, I don't okay. think I've ever had a patient say that they found it to be too... Um, alkaline. Yeah, I very there rarely are some see it. I, I run, like I run lab tests. Yeah, I run urine tests in a lot of patients, and very, very rarely I'll see a pH like eight. You know, but usually yeah. it's yeah, like in the fives. You know, six yeah. if if they're having some is, issues. I mean, so yeah, yeah, and it's amazing. It does not take much to throw it off. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, I have had multiple patients say, oh, yeah, my pH is every day were between six point five and seven point five, and then I got a bad night's sleep, and bam. Or I went out and ate pizza, and bam, one night. Wow. So, you know, most of the people are eating it, you know, doing one of one or more of these things every night. So, I mean, it's a, yeah. I've been I've been stunned at how many different things will change somebody's pH, and it's fascinating. I mean, like, there's research that shows, for example, that if you take a an animal and you stress it out and you check its urine, it's going to start dumping magnesium out of its urine. Hmm. And its urine is going to become more acidic because the it, it's going to be the basically they're going to become deficient. So like these days, if I see somebody who's like, oh yeah, I've been stressing at work or whatever, and or you know, I can't sleep lately, or I'm like, okay, make sure you're taking your buffering minerals and you're taking your vitamin C extra. It used mm -hmm. to just be, don't forget your B vitamins, but that's that's like 
that's obviously still important too, but now I'm like, don't forget these guys either. Right. And now you okay, can check so it. Okay, so let's talk about the pH some, testing. Um, you can check it now, so it's cool. Right, Sorry, totally. Now it's all good. So strategies. Let's talk about some um, some solutions people can use to improve their pH. So let's say their pH is too low, they're too acidic. Um, dietary wise, what are some strategies? And then using some you know supplements, natural treatments. Yeah, um, greens. Green vegetables are probably going to be your best bet. Um, and you know the average person out there is usually not eating any vegetables, or they eat like a carrot or something like that, any mm-hmm. type of vegetable or fruit is, is going to be, you know, any type of plant food typically is going to be, have some degree of alkalinizing effect on the body. And there are there are charts on the Internet <coughs> available for free. My favorite one is the one created by Dr. Jaffe because it's all research-based um, that show, you know, full-on charts of um, acid alkaline uh, levels in foods. Some people poo-poo that. Um, I used to until I saw with myself and my own patients the difference that happens in your pH when you eat these foods or don't. So mm-hmm. I always, if I can find direct proof, then I don't care what anybody's opinion is. <laughs> so anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of how I go. And so any type of plant food, and it does not by any stretch of the imagination mean that a person needs to be a vegan. You know, but but right. that being said, meat meat intake is going to be the strongest. Um, going to have the strongest impact on your on the acidity in your system. Mm-hmm. And it's simply just me. I mean, Lauren Cordain talks about this in his first book. I mean, it's it's about it's about balance. It's like with anything else. And so it doesn't mean somebody has to only eat vegetables and fruit, but it does mean that they better, you know, in my opinion, don't, I don't recommend anybody eat a diet that's not pretty high in, in vegetables at least. Some people have some issues with fruit, and that's fine, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Type, any type of vegetable um, or, or plant food is going to offset the acidic uh, nature of, of meat, and also grains. Grains are going to contribute to acidity as well. And dairy now, what about the, sure. the so, type of the type of meat, the type of animal protein? Do you find that there's a difference in its ability to acidify the body? Yeah, you know, grass fed yeah, and that's grain fed. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's something like that 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 chart would help a great deal because it, it mm-hmm. does it does break it down. But so, for example, um, uh, organ meats and red meats are going to be the most, most acidifying, as far as I recall. And then certain types of fish are going to be, in terms, in the realm of animal food, I believe fish is the least acidifying. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, interestingly enough, I think goat milk is slightly alkalinizing, if I remember correctly. But I, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Interesting. Yeah. It's only it's the okay. only animal food I believe that has a slightly alkalinizing effect. Got so it. yeah, that's those are you know in the food and I'm a huge fan of like green smoothies and things like that. Just I don't think they're ideal if if I had my if I could just force anybody to do anything I wouldn't say you know drink green smoothies all day long. But for mm-hmm. for many people it's a good way to get in uh, an amount of of greens um, that they might not normally get in otherwise. And so I'll oftentimes at least transitionally ask people to to do one or two of those a day and just observe you know now you have a tool that you can use to watch and see not only how you feel which is important as well but but um you, you have an, a more of an objective tool to use to watch and see the effects that this has i mean it's mm-hmm. a neat experiment to just say okay today i'm just going to eat meat see what my urine my uh, ph is tomorrow and then t- the next day i'm going to just drink, drink green smoothies and see see the difference i mean mm-hmm. usually people will see a pretty significant difference mm-hmm 
So cool. that's the dietary so, side of things. Yeah, beyond diet, what are some other little little techniques, little tips? Well, because again, because because magnesium is such a common commonly deficient nutrient for people, I usually if 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 people have made a good effort um, to change their diet and they're not seeing the types of changes that we would expect with their pH, I, the first thing I will bring in is magnesium if I haven't already based on their symptoms. Um, and so, you know, magnesium is a difficult one sometimes for people that are significantly deficient because it's it's somewhat difficult sometimes to replete somebody completely with magnesium because it irritates the bowels so much and will you'll get diarrhea typically a lot of times before you can get in enough. It's very different from vitamin C in that regard. Um, it's going to always be similar. It doesn't matter how deficient you are. You may never be able to get enough in orally to, to satisfy that. So I often, in my mm-hmm. practice, I use IV magnesium usually initially to mm-hmm. to get people to a sort of balanced and replete place, and then they'll they'll use oral magnesium uh, on top of that, and eventually just switch to that completely. Um, and that seems to usually cut it for most people. Awesome. Now, in some cases, though, like in the case of you know ladies who get frequent UTIs, right, and like mm-hmm. E. coli, for example, can grow easier in more of an alkaline environment. There are some cases where having more acidic urine is warranted, right? Yes, and that I mean I don't know the details in terms of how acidic that would you mm-hmm. would need to get it, um, but technically anything over 7.0 would be alkaline. alkaline mm-hmm. So in cases like that, I might at least temporarily, you know, ask them not to go much beyond 7.0. And mm-hmm. and again, the, you know, that's something that I look at as like, yes, that that makes logical sense. And and, but I would still want to have it almost prove, <laughs> proven to me mm-hmm. that as someone improves their diet and improves their health and whatever, and their pH starts to go slightly over 7.0, I would. I would only tell them to watch that or be careful of that if it seemed like it was in worsening their UTIs. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly if they're in the middle of a UTI, that's a different story. Um, but if they're just somebody who has, who has the tendency towards UTIs, I would be interested to see how they respond because there's so many other things that are going to happen in a person's body to contribute to UTIs in the first place and, and then to, to change that for a person. So. Right. Okay. Got it. And for those of you who don't know UTIs, urinary tract infection, Sorry, bladder yes. infection. Another, yeah, I know. I just kind of throw I never know who's listening, right? It could be doctors. It could yeah. be just, you know, girl next door. Okay, good cool. Point. So I think that's that's good for uh, pH testing. Let's let's um, jump over to bowel transit testing. Mm, so yes. what's bowel transit time and why is it important to test it? Um, so technically, bowel transit time is just basically the the time interval between when you consume a food and then when you excrete or get rid of that food at the other end. So it's the, literally the time from one the top of the digestive tract to the bottom and how long it takes to get there. And that the the ideal time, as far as I understand it, is and this is again based on research, is approximately 12 to 18 hours. Um, the average American, you, good guess, anywhere between 36 to, as far as I understand it, 36 to 96 hours or beyond. I can't even believe how sometimes I talk to patients who <laughs> they say, oh, yeah, you know, I go like a couple times a week. And it's like, really? You know, like I can't imagine that. But but it's it's definitely ideal to be about uh, 12 to 
twice a, twice a day, so to speak. So once every 12 to 18 hours, and it's you know it's a it's a crucial thing. I mean, you and I both know that all health begins in the gut, or a lot of it does, and certainly a lot of that has to do with how well your bowels are moving. So mm-hmm. bowel transit time testing for me, for my patients, is just a way to get a, a quick glimpse. You know, you can certainly get some of this information just by asking them how often you're going to the bathroom. But that being said, sometimes people go, oh, I go every day. And most naturopaths these days would say, okay, that's pretty good because we're sort of mm-hmm. you know, relatively happy about that. But that person mm-hmm. who goes once a day could still have a decreased um I mean, an increased or too long of a bowel transit time, you know, mm-hmm. 24 hours or, or longer still. Yeah. Which is not a good thing. It is not a good thing. Yeah, we we don't no. want things just sitting in there and getting all Absolutely toxic not. and reabsorbing. And, okay. Exactly. Now, if it's too fast, yes. it could be that there's something irritative, your body's trying to get it out quicker, or maybe there's some sort of motility issue, it's too fast, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some hormonal yeah. imbalances, too long, you know, definitely hypothyroidism, right? It's one of the first things we yep. think of. Maybe dehydration. Yeah. What are some other things yeah, that make the bowel transit time too long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think dehydration first, um, physical activity, um, whole food fiber intake, so fiber supplements excluded. Um, mm-hmm. Whole food fiber intake, plant you know, plant foods and um, probiotics as well. Um, those are some of the things I think of. But absolutely, th- uh, hypothyroidism is a big one. Um, as well, but I, I, I would, I wish there was some research study that was done where you could just take a group of constipated people and give them water and see how many of them get better. Because I bet you it'd be like over, over fifty. I think it would be uh, statistically significant. <laughs> yes, there you go. Groundbreaking, incredible, um, cool. All right, anything else you can think of? Long transit time. I think those are the heavy hitters. In terms of what that. What that contribute? Oh, how to how to improve upon that? No, like what what creates long you know a, a longer oh yeah transit time yeah I you know there's going to be some potentially more obscure uh, effects on that but those the things we rattle off the you know fluid intake physical activity fiber um, probiotics and and uh, uh, thyroid issues are I I would certainly put in my top five there's some indication that because the adrenal glands are pretty heavily involved in fluid control in the body and sodium-potassium balance. Um, Some people with really chronic adrenal issues may also have constipation as a result of that. And Mm -hmm. then uh, even more obscure, if I I address all of those things and they're still not getting better, I start looking at parasites and different things like that. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's pretty unusual. I'd, well, I, enough in terms of, I've been running parasites so, on everybody, sorry. Dr. Chong. It's been like uh-huh. even people bear, who really don't have a lot of symptoms, I see it all the time. It is insane how many parasites I, I'm treating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's almost <laughs> like I mean, it's, it is surprising if I do a stool analysis and, and none show up, I would say. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. it's crazy. So, okay, I don't know. Did we even say how to test bowel transit time? No. Or do we just get excited no. about it? Okay, go we for got it. it. Too excited. You said bowel, and I just started getting really excited. <laughs> no, uh, how, to, how to test for bowel, bowel transit time, it's super simple. This is probably the easiest one of all. You just go to the health food store, and you get some activated charcoal um, capsules, and it's pretty readily available. And um, based on your weight and I'm happy to just rattle off these figures really quick. Less yeah, than 150 Yeah, less than 150 pounds you're going to do about 6 capsules 
150 to 208 capsules, 200 to 250, 10 capsules, and if you're over 250 pounds, 12 capsules, which sounds like a lot, which it is, but it's just a one-time dose. Um, mm-hmm. and you take that with at least eight ounces of water on an empty stomach, and you mark the clock. So basically, you put something in one end, and then you wait for it to come out the other end, and you see how long that takes. And it's as simple as that. And uh, and then based on what I said earlier, the goal being 12 to 18 hours, you can make an assessment of whether or not yours is too long. And if it's too long, then you can use one of those five different things that we talked about and and potentially more um, to improve upon that. And doing so is going to be, it seems like such a simple thing, and it's it's so incredibly helpful. I, I, I probably don't even know half of what, types of benefits that would have on a person just considering of how many different things go on with the gut and how huge it is for your health in general um, but absolutely it's going to move toxins through your body in a more um, timely fashion and reduce the likelihood of irritating your gut in any way shape or form which is going to reduce the likelihood of leaky gut syndrome and all these other things so it's, it's such an important thing um, and so that's why I do it awesome Cool. Well, I love we have three really easy, doable tests that people can do at home right away, and they can assess their health. What I'd love to do real quick now is just kind of a head-to-toe sweep of what a person might see if they have certain nutritional deficiencies. So they can look in the mirror, or they can kind of just do a glance at their body and check it out. So um, first off, I would love to talk about black circles under the eyes. What do you see for okay. that um, in terms of nutrients and kind of a connection with, with someone's health? Um, I always think of of um, food intolerances more than anything, and mm-hmm. you know, allergic shiners, I guess, would be the technical uh, term for that. <clears throat> you know, the classic kid shows up in your office who's just totally tired all the time and unwilling and grumpy and whatever, and they have these dark circles under their eyes, and they get colds and flus all the time. I'm thinking this kid's got food intolerances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and also maybe some um, toxicity in the gut. I've heard of, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, ileocecal valve, something going on with ileocecal ah. valve. And I think that were, those are the main ones. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. heard okay, that before, cool. but now I'm going to remember that too. Thank you. <laughs> and then, okay, vertical <laughs> creases in the earlobes. This one is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I'm sort of almost um weird about that i i cannot i cannot not notice people's vertical creases in their earlobes so, like i'll just be anywhere out in the public anybody who i see with the creases in their earlobes i get nervous for them because it's a pretty reliable i mean this is again you can look this up on pubmed even it's a pretty reliable um indicator of, of increased cardiovascular risk hmm Pretty, I mean, you know, you're going to have the average like 80-year-old woman wearing, who's been wearing uh, earrings for her la- the last 60 years, have have right. a little crease there from the earrings, especially if they're yeah. heavy. But that's a different story. If you yeah. if you see a 55-year-old man with a big gut and a red face and creased earlobes, you, you want to be ne- nervous yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm going to do some labs there. Okay, uh, how about skin tags and kind of that darker ring around the neck. That's something I see a lot. Yeah. When I go to maybe Disneyland or, you know, any kind of um, Six Flags, I just see, I forget sometimes I'm in a little bit of a bubble, so I tend to forget, like, the reality of the health of the United States until I go to somewhere hey. like Disneyland, and I see this a lot. I hear you. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm in Portland, and we're pretty healthy up here as well. So, um, yeah, 
that's a again a pretty strong indicator. I, I look at all these tests as as gateway tests, by the way, like that will prompt me to further investigate and get clarification. I don't mm -hmm. use them as diagnostic tests, but of that course. being said, pretty pretty clear, um, pretty clear correlation with blood sugar d issues, insulin resistance, and that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you're gonna. It's pretty hard to to start not start guessing that about some people just by looking at them, but some people have more um, typical-looking body types that aren't, they're not overweight. You wouldn't guess that they're insulin-resistant, but they they are for various mm -hmm. reasons, and, and skin tags can be a clue into that that, that might, you might have missed otherwise. Yeah, cool. And then how about bumps on the back of the arms? The bumps on the back of the arms, I see those pretty often, especially in... Um, uh, oftentimes in teenagers who don't, for whatever reason, seem to care as much about their nutrient intake. But, um, <laughs> you know, usually um, I'm thinking vitamin A, essential fatty yeah. acids, potentially zinc as well. Um, mm -hmm. And there's going to be other tests one can do to, to further to further clarify that. But like zinc, I don't know if you use a zinc taste test. Oh, um, yeah. I was, I was actually thinking about us mentioning that, yeah, the zinc tally test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that I'll, if I see that immediately, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna do a zinc taste test on somebody, um, and ask them about their essential fatty acid intake. Um, vitamin A is an interesting one because you know most in in the paleo world, a lot of people are <clears throat> aware of vitamin A and whether you know there's a lot of question as to whether or not we need to consume it directly as as it in its retinol form or if we can get it from from carotenoids in in uh, dark colored vegetables um and I think that depends on the person some people seem mm -hmm. to be able to do to convert carotenoids directly to vitamin A pretty easily and other people don't and since you can't um guess who that is off the bat you can look at their arms and see if they have bumps on them and if they do um you might want to give them a more direct form of vitamin A Mm -hmm. Yeah, or also something like I think of with that is also um, hypothyroidism, right? So if they have low-functioning oh, yeah. thyroid, they can't convert the beta-carotene to vitamin A. So yes, And then they yes, kind of yes. look orange sometimes. I know back in the day when I was a vegan and I had um, 95,000 mm -hmm. carrots a day and I wasn't converting mm -hmm. the beta-carotene to vitamin A, I was a little orange. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I believe um, young children and elderly people as well, and just high stress people as well don't make that conversion mm -hmm. very well, very well either so mm -hmm. so yeah okay white spots on fingernails that was this is my last one white spot I swear that's my favorite most reliable one um that is um, zinc until proven otherwise in my yeah. opinion just the white spots and you know these days for me in my practice if I see that if I see anybody with white spots on their nails and they're not totally malnourished, I'm immediately wanting to check them for something called pyroluria. I don't know mm. how familiar you are with that, but uh, P-Y-R-O-L-U-R-I-A, pyroluria. Nice. Um, nice job. A, yeah, thank you. That's a, a condition that, with you know a long explanation behind it, but those people become uh, zinc and vitamin B6 deficient quite readily and quite easily. And... Mm. Um, uh, they typically need are going to need much higher doses to satisfy their their needs than the average person, and so mm -hmm. there is a lab test you can do to to, to assess for that further. But if I if, these days if I see it, I'm immediately wondering about that, especially mm -hmm. depending on the rest of their health. Awesome. <clears throat> but yeah, zinc is the zinc is the key there. 
Very cool. Um, any other little Very things you can cool. think of for deficiency symptoms? I think those are the the big ones that stand out that I could think yeah, of. Yeah, those are the those are the big ones. There, I have I have a list um, of things I look at in my office that I mm-hmm. don't have memorized. That certainly have more things than that. I, I look, yeah. do a lot of things with blood pressure testing as well. I'll do um, a few different uh, what you call like functional tests in the office, just depending on. What what's going yeah. on with the person? But those are some big ones for sure in terms of pure nutrient uh, relationship to just pure nutrient deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Well, I think yeah. we've given our listeners a whole lot of information that they can do some assessments on themselves right now. And of course, I you know, so. don't don't use this for all you listeners. Don't use this as treatment for anything. These are just some clues, and you can you know seek somebody yes. out and get some some help um, to kind of connect all the dots. But um, Dr. Chong, it's been so great having you on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about you, and how can they work with you? Um, I like you do sort of a split between um, local private practice in Portland, Oregon, and um, a lot of internet or long-distance phone consultations with people who can't get to see me otherwise. Um, my website is drdanielchong.com, just D-R-D-A-N-I-E-L-C-H-O-N-G.com, and all the information anybody would need to on how to get a hold of me or how to schedule an appointment with me or anything like that is, is on that website. Rock on. Any other little yes. parting words for our listeners? I think we've got some, some good content out there. Only to say thank you and keep up the good work. You got you're it. great out there. And thank it you. seems like you're just getting more and more rock star status as we go along here. So <laughs> any naturopath that can get to that point in this day and age is doing awesome. I so know. Keep up I know. The good well, work. I think what what we do is incredible, and it's so much fun, and it helps so many people, and it needs to be more mainstream. So it's exciting yep. to be able to get it out there, and um, you know, there's there's a lot of people to help. So Absolutely. it's a good fight. Could, yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, thank you awesome. for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Go enjoy your um, trailblazers, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, go Portland. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you so so much for tuning in. It was a, I think that was a really fun one. I could keep talking forever, but I'm going to go have some delicious paleo cuisine. Um, I'm going to go have dinner with um, Pete's Paleo. He's a local paleo chef, and he actually makes paleo food for um, – Local people here, you can eat, like basically buy your whole week's worth of food um, or anywhere in California he ships to them. So I'm going to give a little plug for him. His website is Pete'sPaleo.com. I haven't mentioned him before, but I am a raving fan of, of what he does. So you guys should check out his website. Um, that's only for in California, but I think he's going to be starting to make food for all over the U.S., I'm pretty sure. That's the the uh, rumor that I heard. Anyways, I'm going to go have some delicious food. You guys have a great rest of your week, and we will uh, check you out next week, same time, same place, on Dr. Low Radio. Ciao. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. 
North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.